0: Chalmers eating forward. McCormick fails properly to block the ball. Davis, the left back of Third Lanark. Just to go quickly over the Celtic team Fallon, Young, and Gamel. Brogan, Cushley, Kennedy, Johnston, Divers, Chalmers, Gallagher, and Hughes. Third team only, one change. Patterson playing his third game at inside left in the top team. Murray.
1: We've headed south from the centre of Glasgow towards Hampden Park, Scotland's national stadium, home to the Tartan Army. To get there, the city gives way to a more suburban feel. It's certainly more well-to-do. The roads are wider, the houses larger and set further back, and the streets are pleasantly tree-lined. And then suddenly, just off one of those side streets is Cathkin Park. At first glance, just a nice green space, like those found in cities all over the world. But what's that? It looks like the terracing you'd see in a football ground. And that's because this is the so-called ghost ground, abandoned in the 1960s when Third Lanark went bust. It's
0: Patterson, Gallagher, to Patterson.
1: The steep banks which have been left to quietly decay so the greenery pokes up through the gaps in the concrete look from a distance like a Flandrian climb somehow. It could almost be the Koppenberg. Yeah, it, it actually is. a. Uh, ghost ground you can feel that stuff happened here there's still a pitch marked out no goalposts, but the terracing goes around what three sides dog walkers paradise i mean some quite quite aggressive dog face-off as we got here i was quite relieved that one of them was on the lead i thought they were gonna go at it Rover did look annoyed, didn't he? Rover didn't like someone being on his patch at Third Lanark, but the the little crush barriers. I mean, are they original? I mean, what? Put them in. Why would they, they be, they be put in? They must be original. And the trees have go. Have they grown since?
2: Should
1: we going to lean on a crush barrier? Mm, they might topple over. <laughs> but It's an actual stepped terrace, isn't it? Like, yeah. It's, yeah, and there is a sort of ghostly feel because you can hear the kind of the hum of the city over there. But the tall trees give a sort of peaceful canopy, almost. And it just makes you wonder what might have been if Queen's Park had kind of tried to keep pace with Rangers and Celtic and Third Lanark hadn't gone bust, there might be four clubs in Glasgow all going head to head. Might have diluted some of the sectarianism as well that Kenny was talking about last night if there was another big force in Glasgow. But we should roll on. We should.
3: You know, there are many, many disappeared football teams and they're all fascinating in their own way. And when you hear them... This this is is
1: Daniel Gray, the author and editor of Nutmeg magazine.
3: Many of them didn't really win much or do much. It's very different with third line. They won trophies. They beat the old firm. They had, you know, gates of eighteen, nineteen thousand 19,000 at this ghost round. And then in, in 1967... Which was the to most people the very height of Scottish football, Scotland won at Wembley and declared themselves world champions. You know, Celtic won the European Cup. It, it, it was this very, very you know zenith of of the game here. Third Lanark went bust. They were run very, very corruptly. There was uh, all all sorts of shenanigans going on there. Um, they were run into the ground. Many suspected so the chairman could build houses over that grass. It's in a nice part of Glasgow, leafy area near near Hampden Park. All sorts going on at the time with him trying to save money. So, for instance, he would never buy new footballs. He would have the players paint them white. And so what you would get was players going up for headers and then coming back with patches of white across their foreheads. There's a story that when the taxman turned up, he had the players go and raid the fruit machines in the social clubs so they could be paid in coins. All of these things that, that, that we have become sadly familiar with these stories across football in England, Scotland, and elsewhere. Actually, at, at different clubs, different uh, crooks dare I say that have have run clubs and, and Third Lanark was run into the ground in that way. The high, high, great nickname, great romance about them. And I often think about what it's like to just lose your team. People go every other week after all. And we know that now with, you know, Bury have just gone through it and they're able to to rise again in other clubs across the countries. But that that hits you, that thought of suddenly losing it. But what they have got is somewhere they can go and terrace bars they can still lean on. Occasionally games are played there, you know, kids teams play there, pub teams play there. There's still a pitch and there's still three sides of terracing. It's incredibly evocative, the areas where the moss has grown on the terraces, the council planted trees there as well, which makes it even more surreal. I think it should be a tourist attraction. It's an unofficial tourist attraction. People go, go there, football people go there all the time. But I think a lot more should be made of this ghost ground with an incredibly haunting and yet goosebumps atmosphere, I would call it. The
4: Scottish FA Cup fourth round. Freakin' City nil, Dundee United one. Clyde Bank against Tabernian as a late kickoff. Dundee 1, Medibank Thistle
0: 1. Hamilton Academical 1. Motherwell 2. The Tour de Corse is sponsored by Super Sapiens. The system of continuous glucose monitoring is helping keep Lionel in his performance zone as he tackles the beautiful game on two wheels. Use Super Sapiens to unlock your potential and fine tune your fueling strategy for better results. Find out more at supersapiens.com.
1: It's the morale improving, Simon. I think I feel a bit better than I did yesterday evening when we got into our hotel like drowned rats covered in grey grit from the roads. I've managed to get everything dry and, and, and more or less, well, I think more or less back to.
2: You might be full dry, health.
1: Lionel, but <laughs> the smell of your shoes are kicking up. The shoes have not dried out, I'm afraid. I tried my hardest, Um, the main best trick is rolled up newspaper, in the shoes, on the radiator, try and get them dry that way, but I mean you can't get newspapers anymore it seems, I couldn't couldn't find a newspaper, Uh, tried to balance them on the very narrow radiator in my room but they kept toppling off, so they are a bit soggy, sorry about that Simon, I assume your
2: shoes are lovely and dry are they? One of them is lovely and dry and the other one I had a toppling off incident as well when I found it on the floor this morning still wet. So, Well, morale
1: has definitely picked up. I mean, I I hope, I don't want to tempt fate, but I hope that that was the worst of the weather we're going to encounter. It's dry at the moment. We might get the odd shower, but I don't think we're going to get the heavy, heavy rain we had yesterday afternoon. Fingers crossed. But, I mean, where are we? This is is eccentric, even for us.
2: (laughs) We are on level 3A of uh, NCP. Car park.
1: A multi story car park, which is where the 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 start of today's stage is. I don't know what the race director of the Tour de Coste has been thinking, really. Uh, He's obviously lost his head. It's me, of course. Uh, We're going to roll out in the lift, I think, with our bikes and then get on the route because today is the big one in Tour de Coste terms, anyway. uh, The Grand Tours, there's always a queen stage with the most. Mountains for the riders to tackle, and this is the stage with the most football clubs for us to tackle. We are going from central Glasgow down to Hampden Park, which was the home of Queen's Park Football Club, and of course the Scottish national team. S- then it's Celtic Park with a little uh, wild card stop on the way. Then it's up, up to Clyde FC. Then where I think it's Airdrieonians, Albion Rovers goodness me, Uh, Hamilton Academical today as well, Motherwell as well, might have missed one there, I can't remember, but it's several stops. a couple of, um, well, feed zones on the way to sample the local specialities, Iron Brew and Tunnock's Tea Cakes, hopefully, and I think we need to get on the road and just just, uh, start ticking off the grounds.
2: Let's do it, the beams of sunlight are just Casting into the uh, car park here, um, we need to make the most of this.
1: We do. Not much of a crowd out to uh, see us off here, but we're we're in the multi-story car park.
2: No autograph hunters.
4: Oh, the Clyde, the Clyde, the bluey we fight. The day of them kills
0: me and fills me with pride, and I'm whatever.
1: So this is Shawfield former home of Clyde football club it's now a greyhound racing stadium I think they still have greyhound racing there but we've come just what couple of kilometres if that from Hamden and then on the horizon over there the imposing structure of Parkhead Celtic Park home of Celtic
2: it is imposing isn't it you can see it There's sort of a much more open space in this area of Glasgow and it's there, it's sort of dominating the skyline from where we are anyway.
1: Across a bit of wasteland there really between what was Clyde Football Club who now play in Cumbernauld, where we're going next after Celtic Park and Celtic Park itself and I suppose the proximity of all these places just tells you what the city was like in i guess the late 1800s and early 1900s absolutely football mad industry shipyards docks factory work pubs football i mean you can trace the city's history through these football clubs and you know, obviously celtic and rangers have, have grown and uh, two of the biggest football clubs in the world in terms of support and certainly in terms of intensity of support, but all these other little clubs as well, which would have had their roots in, I guess factory teams or you know local businessmen who wanted to start a sports club, and I suppose you know you can look at Glasgow as one of the great football cities of the world. It's the sort of I guess the Flanders of football, you could say. Yesterday, I talked to Kenny Pride, the cycling journalist and author who was born and brought up in Glasgow, about the sectarian schism that splits the city. This divide between Protestants and Catholics crosses the water and splits Belfast and Northern Ireland too, so it's not just a fierce sporting rivalry, it can be an incendiary one. It can spill over into hostility and for some, even hatred. It's one of those subjects where outsiders need to tread carefully. In very basic shorthand terms, Celtic is the Catholic club, founded by Brother Walfred, partly to support Irish immigrants living in poverty in the east end of Glasgow in the 1880s. Rangers is a Protestant club, and many of their supporters see themselves as British rather than Scottish. Like the Orange Order in Northern Ireland, they are Unionists, loyal to the Crown and the United Kingdom. Recently, when Queen Elizabeth II died, the club defied a UEFA ruling and played God Save the King before a Champions League game. That would never happen at Celtic Park. For decades, from the 1920s to the late 80s, Rangers had an unwritten rule that they would not knowingly sign a Catholic player. That all changed in 1989 when Graham Souness bought the striker Morris Johnston from Nantes in France. Johnston was a Catholic. Coincidentally, one of my early childhood heroes because he spent a brief but very successful spell at my club, Watford. Critically, Johnston then joined Celtic before switching sides to play for Rangers. The move was extra controversial because he'd already announced that he intended to rejoin Celtic before crossing the city's bitter divide. Not all Rangers fans were happy and there were protests outside the stadium. Apparently the team's kit man refused to lay out Johnston's kit on a match day until he'd scored a goal against Celtic. Kenny, the ultimate contrarian, has a fairly unusual, perhaps even unique perspective on the Celtic Rangers question. We're riding on tomorrow, Kenny, we're crisscrossing Glasgow, we're we're doing the whole lot really. I mean we came in via Ibrox and then up to Partick Thistle today and then
5: Ibrox, you Do you mean Castle Grayskull...
1: But this is the thing, I've been warned off, right, (laughs) talking about this, Uh, because by, well, (laughs) as I'm told, in Glasgow, you don't ask anyone who they support.
5: No, you you, you don't ask them who you support, you just ask them what school they went to, and then then you can work out, you know, oh, it's a Catholic school, so they probably support Celtic, and that's
1: pretty much it. But I'm going to, (laughs) I'm going to, so... This may not make the cut here, Kenny, he? <laughs> but but you are not a Catholic and you support Celtic.
5: Uh, I couldn't possibly comment on either of them. Yeah, it's funny actually, I was brought up in a mad kind of orange household. Not really mad, but you know, could definitely. My first, you know, the football strip that you, you get bought, it was a Ranger strip. It's like, eh, not really, no, I'm not. And that's fine. But at a certain point, you kind of uh, go, oh, I don't think I like this. And, uh, and so, yeah, effectively, I'm quite happy to see the Selick doing, doing well, because it pains me, is it? I mean, uh, this is a whole, this is
1: not sort of, a can of worms. The worms, the worms, <laughs> are, we're this drowning is, in worms here. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even making of lo- light of it. I mean, it, it, you yes. know, there's some serious things at the heart of all of this, of course.
5: Uh, uh, to some extent, it is and remains Scotland shame, and I, I don't mean rangers, but I mean just the, that sectarian... Uh, sectarian divide, you know, that the, the blights Scotland, Glasgow in particular, the west of Scotland, um, well, terrible historical reasons behind it, but, you know, it, I, as a Scot, it, it pains me to see a Union Jack being flown so enthusiastically at a Scottish football ground, and somebody else would say, well, yeah, but, but they fly the tricolor and, and you know, a Celtic Park, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's horrific. It's just it's a mess, and it, it should not be part any part of any civilized society. But hey, we're in Glasgow, so there you go.
1: <laughs> so we kind of just sort of keep our heads down and be respectful, and just don't don't uh, well don't open the can of worms, really. I suppose. I mean, we've just had the old firm game at the weekend, and it, and it's erupted again, hasn't it? Yeah. But
5: it was it's it's inevitable. It's it's and it's horrific. I say it's inevitable. It can't be it can't be inevitable, but it feels inevitable. It feels like Scotland will never shake it off. And it and it makes me and my pals kinda of laugh to go, My god, there are still people who get so animated and exercised by that you know, um and people who are absolutely you know, the 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 depths of the enmity that exists between sectors of those like rival fans just beggars belief and, and it, it it does seem that I mean clearly the you know, the Scottish Church of Scotland or the Protestant side of Scotland and, and the Catholic side in you know, the Roman Catholic Church the, the the power of the Roman Catholic Church has diminished enormously you know that you know there's not people Celtic fans don't go to to chapel really anymore I don't imagine they do you know but there's still that oh, tribals it's too weak a word for it but it's, it's it's horrific
1: So what brings Scotland together? A hatred of England
5: Yeah
4: <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think really? um, yeah, yeah, I think
5: every uh, everybody has a t-shirt, you know, in the drawer that says A B E, and they bring it out every time England play anybody at any sport anywhere in the world at any time in any time zone. Anyone but England. Who are you supporting in the cricket? Anyone but England. Who are you supporting in the rugby? Anyone but. And so it goes.
1: Well, we had our own little version <laughs> of that at the Tour de France in 2018 when England got to the World Cup semi-finals and I was travelling in the car with Richard <laughs> and Francois Tomazel <laughs> and <laughs> it got lively on semi-final <laughs> night. I tell you, it was a real seesaw of emotions that night. The thing is, my, I think the thing that irritated Richard even more than the fact that I claimed to support England is that I could <laughs> switch it on and off by saying, well, no, I actually support Ireland, really. But okay. um, you know, England when they're doing okay or I mean that's even worse, isn't it? I mean that really that was what wound him up, I think, the fact that he he didn't switch off his Scottishness. He was proud of Scotland and he wanted Scotland to win and yes, anyone but England, especially in the rugby. Especially in the rugby. Yeah,
5: see that's because that, that's because Richard was fundamentally from Edinburgh and the only people that play rugby in Scotland are from Edinburgh. And the Borders, but even the Borders are given up on it. It's basically, it's an Edinburgh sport. There are no rugby clubs north of the Forth Bridge in Scotland, just none, you know. And there's a few public school boys in Glasgow play, but they get a hard time, and rightly so.
1: <laughs> very, very lastly, we're crisscrossing the city tomorrow, and uh, the one thing we noticed on the way in today was just how well served by the cycle route the city is it's incredible we we barely rode on a road today we were off road through parks yeah the bit of crisscrossing through the estates and stuff and and but quiet roads kept us and when you think of the motorways and the dual carriageways that crisscross glasgow that was pretty miraculous um tomorrow will be interesting going from you know hamden and celtic park up to cumbernauld and clyde and airdrie and albion rovers and 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 so on um, we're not, unfortunately, going to go north enough to the Crow Road, but there is uh, the Robert Miller illustration now, isn't yeah. there, up there on the Crow Road, actually?
5: Yeah. It's actually um, Drew Wilson. It's uh, his shop, bike Fit, I think it's called. Um, Drew Wilson was a contemporary of Brian Smith, the uh, Eurosport commentator, and Drew had much more class than Brian Smith on a bike. I just want that noted for the record. <laughs> But anyway, Drew has ended up um, running a bike shop, and in, in, in the gable end of his shop, he's got this lovely picture of uh, Robert, I think, from the Vuelta, which was taken by <laughs> Graham Watson, I'm pretty sure, and it's, it's a, a sort of uh, a copy of that that photograph. And uh, and Philippa came up recently, recently, last autumn now, maybe. Um, and they did a, you know, not an unveiling because it was there, but anyway, uh, she came up and they had a bit of a ride over the Crow Road and, yeah, it was uh, it was quite an event. Uh, it was great to see. So it's a shame because the Crow Road is, that's the, that is the, uh, the iconic sort of Glasgow climb and also the name of a book.
1: <laughs> an excellent book, an absolutely <laughs> and, excellent book. Yeah. I mean, there we are, cycling literature, um, Robert Miller, all
5: yeah. in Scotland's best ever cyclists, yeah, all in one, one marvelous, uh, cr- the crow road, yeah.
1: Our route didn't take us up to the Crow Road which in hindsight is a bit of a shame but hopefully I'll get to go back because this whole area will take centre stage next August when Scotland becomes the focal point of the cycling universe with the first edition of the new UCI World Championships or Super Worlds as I'm insisting on calling it until someone tells me to stop. The organisers are calling it the biggest cycling event ever and over 11 days, 190 rainbow jerseys will be up for grabs across the biggest range of disciplines brought together for one championships. The road time trials will be in Stirling, the road races will all finish in Glasgow and will feature the Crow Road Climb, the elite women will start at Loch Lomond with the men setting off from Edinburgh. The track and para-track events will be at the Sir Chris Hoy Velodrome of course BMX and Trials will be held in Kelvin Grove Park in Glasgow. The Artistic Cycling and Cycle Ball will be at the Emirates Arena. Mountain Bike Cross Country is at Glentress Forest near Peebles to the south of Edinburgh. And the Mountain Bike Downhill will be to the north at Fort William. The Para Road Cycling events will be in Dumfries and Galloway. It's going to be a celebration of cycling and a celebration of Scotland. Scottish cyclists have made an impact across all cycling disciplines. There have been those who've ridden the Tour de France, such as Ian Steele, Ken Laidlaw, Robert Miller, who won the King of the Mountains jersey, of course, and David Miller, and more recently, Theo Gagan Hart. There are track superstars, Chris Hoy, Katie Archibald, Craig McLean, Paralympic track champions such as Neil Fackey and Eileen McGlynn, endurance bike packers like the record breaker Mark Beaumont and Jenny Graham, Mountain biker Caroline Alexander and trials rider Danny McCaskill. And then, of course, Graham O'Bree and plenty of others.
4: When I started racing, I was like 12 or 13 years old in like the early 90s. And like I was the only person in my club under the age of like 28.
1: This is a former elite Scottish rider, Jimmy McCullum. Commonwealth Games medalist, national crit champion, he rode for Ploughman Craven, Endura, Rafa Condor and many others and now he's a key figure at the Cycling Academy which is seeking to create a pathway for young Scottish riders to make it to the very top. We'll hear more about their work in a future episode but for now I wondered what impact having the world championships in Scotland would have on the next generation.
4: But you've also got a mentality in Scotland that probably even the mentality probably gets even worse when you go to the west coast of Scotland where you kind of say you want to do something and there's always 10 people want to shoot you down and tell you why you you can't do that. And you're a wee man, you've got no chance of doing that. And for me, that was quite disheartening. The one way in which I would describe the way in which the Scottish mentality is, and especially the West Coast mentality, is watering things down. We use watered down language. We're positive, positively negative. How are you today? I know bad. What can kind of answer is that? You are good, bad, or you're great. I mean, come on, what one is it? Uh, and I think we're very, very good at that. And I learned that from media training with a guy called Bob McFarland, who was a, it was, it was a, it was a rugby, um commentator back in the day. And I did media training with him. He's got a really good book. And if you're a young athlete trying to have better ways of speaking in general about how you feel and what you're doing and being like changing and flipping the switch, he's got a really good book called Drop the Pink Elephant. And he'll, he media trains you. And every time you say something kind of like, yeah, I kind of, he's like, here's your pink elephant. Yeah. And you end up with a big handful of pink elephants by the end of like that chat. And then slowly trains you how to speak more about how you actually feel and, and what you're being a bit more con- concise about what you're doing, a bit more committed to what you're doing. And it was really, really eye opening when I read the book about how we are really, really watered down because you don't realize it when you're growing up that you are actually saying these things and you kind of inherit all that kind of chat just by hearing it from your parents and your family and your everyone at school and stuff like that. So it's, it's an important but a really interesting nuance of kind of the West Coast of Scotland, you know, and I'm sure it's not just the West Coast of Scotland. I'm being a bit biased in my my, my categorization of the West Coast, but it's definitely a Scottish mentality as well, because we, we like to be the underdog. Not everyone likes to stand up and go, well, I'm going to do this. And that's what kind of separates you. If you want to be successful in anything, you have to stand up. You have to be vulnerable and you have to be brave. And when I was a kid trying to be that vulnerable and be that brave kid, you're you're pushed back down, but I, I had people like so Brian and watching the Tour de France and watching Robert Miller and going, oh my God, these guys are from Glasgow. It's, it's amazing. And now you know how they've done it, you know, and it's it's amazing to think now that we've got so many professionals now in the UK that we can, you know, see a very very obvious pathway. But it's just exposing that to riders at a very younger age.
1: You talk about that kind of perfect storm. I mean, how important then is the fact that in August 2023, not that long away now um what nine months away the whole of that sort of scottish triangle of edinburgh sterling and um, glasgow and then further down south as well it's going to be the center of the cycling world for the for the super world championships not not just the road or you know whatever it but it's every discipline it's going to expose people to all um all facets of cycling and and presumably you're hoping that it's going to you know turn a few heads away from um, from football or computer games or whatever it is, and, and, and get kids going. I'd love, love
0: to have a go at that. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a phenomenal event. This is
1: Peter Ellen, the director of the Cycling Academy, who works alongside Jimmy.
0: Obviously, it's going to have a big impact globally in terms of uh, in, in, a huge amount of coverage for a huge amount, you know, all these, I think, it's 13 disciplines in, in total. I think for us, we want the impact we want it to have for us is for people to see those athletes competing on their doorstep um, and realize that actually it's possible for them to participate in events at that scale um, in the future. Uh, And in particular, obviously we're pretty passionate about road racing to see some of the roads that we train in on our Sunday rides are gonna be in that course uh, for for, for the road races uh, and they're phenomenal places to ride. It doesn't. I mean, it won't be going into the Highlands. That's a phenomenal place to ride too. Scotland's quite a big place, as you know from riding around it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it should have – I hope it has an impact on people in the mainstream of cycling, actually, in particular, to understand that cycling is a sport that anyone can get into and for young people, it offers them a phenomenal journey and adventure, and for everyone else – as you probably know, there's more than a thousand ways to enjoy riding a bike. We probably just haven't discovered them all yet. So, you know, uh, uh, you, you, whether you're racing somebody from the traffic lights on your way to work or just sort of farting around on the canal towpath, path, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's it's still the best way to get around and one of the best things you can do. So I hope all of that plays out from the event and people can enjoy it and maybe understand
4: uh, the, the sporting disciplines a bit better too. I think one, one thing that I noticed with them, um, obviously this is kind of off the legacy of Glasgow 2014.
1: This is Jimmy McCallum again, talking about Chris Glasgow's Hoy and well, Craig McLean.
4: But I, I remember Glasgow as, uh, as a city, transforming like, into total sports fanatics. And so much so that there's, there's parts of Glasgow we were riding through, and I used to ride through them as a kid. And instead of people throwing have bricks at you, Kids are jumping off the pavement at traffic lights trying to get selfies with you. And that just shows you what the potential actually is with big sporting events like this. And if you capture one kid, two kids, every different set of traffic lights, and they see a cyclist and they go, oh, my God, there's that cyclist, and they get a picture. That's the kids you're inspiring. It's not necessarily inspiring them just to do cycling. It's inspiring them to be, you know, think big get them into, into sport it doesn't have to be cycling because scotland as as we all know doesn't have the greatest health we don't have the greatest diet so anything which is positive in the in the manner of getting people off the couches get people moving for me that's the that's the real take-home message from this but if you want to do cycling it'd be actually quite nice
1: <laughs> i asked uh jack mccullough a very good friend of the podcast who guest edited our uh... Friends of the Podcast special series. He he wanted to know more about the origins of the podcast. And I mean, that was an idea he submitted last year and Richard, Daniel and I recorded it. I think just before Christmas, we were kind of prepping to break up for Christmas. It was either just before Christmas or just after Christmas. And of course, well, I'm glad we managed to put down the three of us tell the story of the origins of the podcast and all get our little because over time you know little details have slipped my mind and even in that conversation richard reminded me of things that we've done and said and little steps on the journey to creating this little cycling podcast so very very fortunate really that we did that when we did it because now obviously we wouldn't be able to but I asked Jack what to call Celtic's ground. Should it be Celtic Park or should it be Park Head? Because as we got a sense from talking to Kenny last night, uh, the, the whole the history and culture of Glasgow is not something you trifle with, especially as an outsider. Kenny made a few jokes about the sectarianism and the, the Rangers versus Celtic situation and it's all bound up in religion of course. Typically generally Roman Catholics would support Celtic it's the club with Irish roots, Irish immigrants um, at its heart I guess. Rangers is the Protestant club and so as he said in our conversation you know you only need to ask where somebody went to school and you can pretty much piece together which side of this divide they are and so yeah you don't joke about Celtic and Rangers and don't joke about the sectarian divide either especially not as an outsider so I was a little concerned have I been calling it Celtic Park and I'm committing some terrible faux pas but he said no you can call it Parkhead you can call it Celtic Park or if you prefer you can just call it Paradise the sun's shining Simon We've been very lucky so far today, uh, in contrast to yesterday. Before we head on up to Clyde, I should just say that just across the way round the other side of Celtic Park is the Sir Chris Hoy velodrome. Now, Chris Hoy, of course, is a uh, son of Edinburgh, not Glasgow, but I think you have to say Scotland's greatest ever cyclist. I mean, there's a few contenders, but Chris Hoy is one of Britain's finest ever Olympians. A quick clarifications corner here because I can hear people from Bolton yelling out to point out that Jason Kenny is actually Britain's most successful Olympic athlete with seven gold medals, one more than Chris Hoy. Kenny, of course, has got two silvers as well to Hoy's one Olympic silver. But Chris Hoy has also got 11 world titles to Jason Kenny's three, and of course, won a couple of gold medals for Scotland at the Commonwealth Games. Peter Keane led Revolution in late 90s when the lottery funding came into British Cycling after frankly a dreadful Olympic Games in Atlanta where funnily enough um, cycling did all right Max Chiandri got a bronze medal there um, in the road race for Britain Derby born Max Chiandri but there was some controversy really at the time because all of the funding went into the track program or a lot of the funding probably a disproportionate amount of the funding went into the track program and the reason for that was because they wanted the measurable events you could look at the team pursuit or the olympic sprint as it was called then the team sprint the three rider event was called the uh, olympic sprint at that time you could look at the times and work out what needed to be done to win a bronze medal silver medal or gold medal whereas on the road there were far more variables to that you couldn't control and so peter keen felt that putting the funding into the track program and developing riders capable of winning medals which was after all the criteria by which the lottery funding was being awarded. You had to basically prove that that money was being spent effectively and the way to do that was with Olympic medals. And so I can remember working at Cycling Weekly and getting letters in from readers, sceptical understandably that all this money was being spent on the track and when I say all this money I mean it wasn't you know tens of millions at that point it was relatively small sums of money but all this money was coming into cycling and it wasn't being spent on the bit that we all you know I suppose craved success in the Tour de France or the World Championship road race but Keane's reasoning was that it would be more logical to target and uh, develop riders in disciplines that could be measured and so they could actually measure their progress as they went on year by year and of course they you know they discovered a few people from other sports Jason Queeley who was in that Olympic sprint trio with Chris Hoy and Craig McLean right back in the um, towards the end of the 90s he was actually a water polo player before he switched to cycling he actually also had a terrible injury at Medibank track in Edinburgh where a splinter Uh, went into his back an awful injury but he recovered from that splinter from the wooden track yeah you're wincing Simon that's yeah doesn't bear thinking about does it Um, but I remember when I started working at Cycling Weekly magazine these reports would come in and uh, they would say that the British trio or the I think they were racing for the Edinburgh Cycling Club at the time you know, they would be in IER down in the south of France on the open air track there and they got a fifth in the world cup um, Olympic sprint this is the three man event uh, where basically they lead one another out until the last man typically Chris Hoy in his heyday would bring it home uh, three laps of the track simple as that and you know we were kind of yeah we were a little bit slow on the uptake but then 1999 the world championships were held in berlin and i went over there to cover that for cycling weekly with phil o'connor and uh, get my head around an event that i'd not seen before and meet chris hoy and craig mclean and jason Queeley, very polite quite shy um, i remember after they got their silver medal in berlin which was a massive deal for british cycling at the time you know we're there had been success in the team pursuits and individual pursuits by individual riders, but this was the first time that it seemed like there was you know, something beginning. There were just a little shoots of a bit of success in an event that wasn 't the the pursuit which, as a time trialing nation, you know Britain had always done well in but I remember seeing them in the Berlin uh, velodrome they were, they'd managed to get a Mcdonald 's, I think, from one of the Swan years after their event. And they were chatting and talking about the you know the olympics and hoping to get a medal and i think even then there was a degree of skepticism that that um that we had this world-class unit um, that was just developing event by event and of course well we know jason queely won a gold medal uh, in the kilo in sydney chris hoy got his gold medal in uh in athens in 2004 and really that the snowball once it got rolling it gathered such pace and then of course the road success followed on the back of it and so when you look back it's easy to say that well it was all part of the plan but right back at the very beginning when people were questioning whether this was a waste of money um, sending track riders to go and do an event that no one had really heard of at that time and in the world track championships in berlin in 99 was not the same scale of event it is now and certainly not the same scale of event it was in its real heyday and sort of manchester 2008 when full houses every night it was a real low-key event in berlin really um and now there's an olympic quality velodrome just round the corner from here named after sir chris hoy we'll be hosting the world championships track events in August 2023 and quite remarkable really and i think as we stand here next to brother walfred the irish priest who founded celtic football club in 1888 uh, cycling has its own scottish cycling has its own significant figure in sir chris hoy and His name is on the velodrome next door.
0: 250 metres to decide it, coming up to the halfway mark. Chris Hoy, he's rolling a bit. Can he still keep this up? The line is inside. Chris Hoy's coming up to the line. What's he gonna stop the clock at? Oh! Chris Hoy is the Olympic champion! The Commonwealth champion! The world champion! He's completed the grand slam. Let me just repeat the time: one zero zero point seven one one. That is the uh, best time ever at sea level. Well, he delivered, and he delivered right on cue. And Arnold-
4: I think there's one thing you do have to realise: without, there'd be no Chris without Craig. You know, Craig. We'll, we talk about marginal gains and stuff like that, and Craig was like so uh, far ahead of his time. He was doing some ridiculous stuff and said some incredible ideas about how to train that there now became the norm and what they like pedal set up and you do like a standing start, all that sort of stuff. That was all Craig and Chris and all those boys creating all this. But I think the great thing for the general public, the way in which cycling grew off the back of that Olympic and Commonwealth Games success was that the public didn't really know much difference between if you're a track sprinter and if you're a Tour de France rider. They Some people thought Chris would ride the Tour de France, but the fact that people were talking about, I mean, I'm sure he had that question a few times and I actually heard him answer that question a few times as well in some of his chats, but, it's, it's more about just the awareness of the sport. And I think that's helped create that. Um, that it opens up people's mindsets to another sport, because Scotland, it's all football, rugby as well. You know, we're pretty small minded when it comes to our sports. And we're not overly great at kind of going out of our own, our own menu of um, ability. But the difference when, when, when Chris and Craig started doing things, it, it didn't actually, for me as a young athlete, looking up to them, It wasn't, I didn't really care what the event they did was. I was just amazed at that. Oh my God, that's a guy from like Granton in Spain, which is the middle of nowhere up the northeast of Scotland. That's a guy from Edinburgh who I ride the track league with. And I remember seeing him as a junior riding the track league. And I'm like, that's the same guy. All he's done is work really, really bloody hard and be incredibly committed and focused. Maybe that's just what I need to do. And I think that mind shift is going, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right and I'm going to be committed to it. But if you don't know what you're committing to, it's quite hard to create it when you're like that that young. Whereas now you're trying to have it very obvious, but what it looks like, this is what a day looks like as being a pro. This is what the week looks like. This is what you need to think about before, during and after your training. These are all the things you have to do to remove the friction. So it makes life easier to be a full-time bike rider, or even just to do your sport better if you still got a job or you're still at school. So, I think having that little bit of information from them and understanding what was actually required to become a full-time athlete, it helped me across the board. And I don't think it really matters what the, the discipline they did really made any difference. I think just the mindset was the, was the most important change and, and having access to them and learning from them. and I was really, really privileged to have guys like that kind of in my corner.
1: We zigzagged across the greater Glasgow area, up to Cumbernauld, where the Iron Brew factory is, and where Clyde play their football matches these days, to Airdrie, to Coatbridge, home of Albion Rovers, a team I have a soft spot for, not least because they play in yellow and red, but also because they have two last names. What do the fans call them? Up the Albion or Come on Rovers? I really don't know. Just two last stops at Hamilton Academical and Motherwell, but it's time for a little cafe stop and a little sweet treat. Do you know roughly how many Tunnock's Tea Cakes you sell in this shop every year?
0: No idea, no. Thousands anyway. No,
1: Thousands.
0: Yeah, there's never a
1: Because the factory's here, isn't it?
0: The factory's just across it. See behind the, that building there? The yeah. factory's just behind there.
1: And is this the standard tea cake the most popular? What do you reckon? Or, or the snowball? Oh,
0: it's... Uh-huh. between the caramel weaver and the tunnocks
1: TK. oh the wafers as well yes, yeah I forgot they're about the wafers
0: really good, yes. they're
1: good and they're just I mean it's basically that is what Udingston one of the things Udingston known for, yeah?
0: Definitely. It's for a, a factory, factory. yeah have you seen the factory
1: we came in past it yeah when There's we came the, out just, just down the road there huge
0: factory, yes. and <laughs> we passed
1: <laughs> the iron brew one a little bit earlier today yeah, as yeah. well so we've <laughs> uh, yeah we've seen iron brew and tunnocks and I reckon the, the, uh, the sugar in those will get us to the finish back in Glasgow. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank bye bye. 10 minutes sit down and our cup of tea. That would be nice, I think now. Are you gonna have a Tunnock's tea cake? I am, yeah. We're right next to the Tunnock's factory, Thomas Tunnock Limited in Uddingston, founded in 1890. The little logo on the outside of the factory there, uh, where the motto says, tons of taste in a Tunnock's. And the logo is uh, the beaming, shiny face of a young boy, isn't it? Did you notice that as you came past? Well, when I told you about the Tunnocks tea cakes, you didn't seem to know what they were. No, I,
2: as soon as I saw it, Let's I thought, on. yes, of course I know what they are. Don't
1: sit on them, says Sam. <laughs> 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 Race radio cracks into action. Don't sit on the tea cakes. It's a left, lovely box. left hand turn coming up. Don't sit on the tea cakes.
2: Yeah, they it are. Just, if you do, yeah.
1: They're 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 gorgeous domes of milk chocolate, a light, soft sort of biscuity base, what's and a marshmallow in the middle.
2: What's going to be your um, plan of attack? Is it is it something in a wanna or you, you're a Nora? I know you always used to have a technique for a cream egg, so there might be something in this as well. What was my cream egg technique? Oh, you uh, were you savoured it. So I think Mm. you sort of gnawed gnawed the top bit around, and then sort of probably small finger in and bit of
1: dipped out the, the, the fondant in the middle. Yes the chocolate cream egg.
2: Do you think
1: there's a similar... Well, I tend to um, just sort of bite through the chocolate and the marshmallow and then n- enjoy that and then get down to the biscuit. Leave the biscuity bit to oh, last there you go. these days. But we've got a nice cup of tea. A tonnock's tea cake. Um, they also do the caramel wafers as well. You must be familiar with those.
2: Yes. Yeah. No... Th- the thing that sort of went in the packed lunchbox and came
1: uh, home again yeah I'm afraid so or got swapped for a United or a Club or a Penguin or a Breakaway, or a breakaway. hey a Breakaway, the That's cycling there, yeah. biscuit <laughs> <laughs> uh, any non-British uh, listeners who didn't grow up through the Sorry. 80s the, the heyday of the chocolate biscuit I think the 1980s there was such competition wasn't there between the biscuits um, will be absolutely mystified we'll just put some pictures on social media of what a Tunnock's tea cake is before I either eat or sit on them <laughs> What makes things fall?
4: Gravity does that
1: And Daddy, where do babies
4: come from? <clears throat> Tunnock's caramel wafers when you need a little time to chew things over
1: That's enough of a sugar rush for this episode we'll save the Iron Brew taste test for a subsequent stage
4: Shoot shoot at the rear peloton. Cycling Podcast Team Car, at the back of the pack, please.
1: That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour to remind me to tell you that this series is sponsored by the Hammerhead Karoo 2 cycle computer and you can get a free heart rate monitor with every purchase of a Karoo 2 at hammerhead.io right now by using the promo code cycle add the heart rate monitor and the Karoo 2 to your shopping cart at hammerhead.io and then use the promo code cycle to get the heart rate monitor for free and as you've heard the Karoo 2 has coped admirably with a very tricky stage across Glasgow it's taken us across main roads and kept us off those main roads crucially we've ducked down little snickets and alleyways We've hugged the canal, we've crossed the river, we've gone under underpaths and we've not got lost once. Uh, the turn-by-turn directions have been very clear and the yellow line has led us home. Thank you very much to the Karoo 2 for supporting the Tour de Cosse.
0: From Annan to Aberdeen and beyond, Lionel and Simon's Tour de Cos is fuelled by science in sport. From tiramisu cake bakes to beta fuel to Rego recovery drink, science in sport have everything you need before during and after your ride. You can get 25% off at scienceinsport.com with the code (laughs) SISCB25.
2: Zip wrapping.
1: Zip wrapping, oh very good, very good. So this is our last pit stop before we run down to Hamilton Academical and Motherwell. I have to be honest it's not been the prettiest bike ride I've ever done.
2: No but the way we weave through down little canal bits and your yellow line has been exemplary I have to say.
1: It really has. The Hammerhead has been absolutely flawless today with a really, really challenging route. Now, as I said earlier in the week, if you take the time to plot the route on the dashboard and really make sure and cross-refer with other sources of information as I did with the Sustrans National Cycle Network and uh, Google Maps and just doing a bit of the street view bit as well, just to check, is that where we want to go? Do we want to go up there? Does that road look cyclable? Creating the route is one thing, but then the device itself being able to make that readable when some of the turns and the lefts and the rights, making sure we're going the right way, have been intricate to say the least. Um, We haven't gone wrong once today. I know famous last words, we've got still about just under 20 kilometers to go, I think taking in those two last grounds before we get to our hotel but yeah that's been a real bonus that and the fact the weather has actually been all right we had a few spots of rain when we were leaving Clyde didn't we I think morale dipped a bit there because it was big big juicy splodges of rain but only for a couple of minutes or so and then the sun actually came out between Clyde and Airdrie which was the nicest most a rural part of our ride today—quite rolling roads, few little climbs, testing the legs a bit, weren't they? Those climbs. Um, but yeah, wiggling in and around the city and the sort of outskirts of the city, sticking to the cycle tracks, as you say, canal paths. It's been,
2: it's blue been skies good. over the Thomas Tunnock Limited factory now—blue, blue sky, fluffy white clouds. I can feel a bit of warmth in the sun there. I'm I'm optimistic. Always.
1: Yeah. Well, and it will well it will be a headwind on the way in, Simon. So yeah, and no, I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so. We're not going to avoid the headwind. We had the tailwind on the way out. We are going to be riding with a headwind. That how it works. That is how it works, unfortunately. But I don't I think the way where you've been cycling today, you probably haven't had much of a headwind. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> look, I didn't want it. Your you've done your homework. All credit to you, teacher's pet. You know where you're going. I don't want to try and get oh, in the way of the I see. Of the leader I see. of the pack. You know, um, if I was alongside or trying to take over, you, I don't want to upset you. So I just I'm, <laughs> I'm just keeping letting, keeping my distance. You're letting the uh,
1: the yellow line take the strain, are you? Okay, okay. Well, let's. Uh, Find my gloves. Where are my map gloves? I can't ride without those. Ah, there's one. Oh. What have I done with it? Oh there it is. There it is. Right, let's go. Let's um next stop, Hamilton. One of the quintessential Scottish football club names, isn't it's it? Hamilton name, yeah. Hamilton Academical. And I'm gonna
2: try and get a shirt there. Failed to get a shirt at Queen's Park. Tried to get a shirt at Queen's Park because I do like the black and white hoops that they have and the, I'm quite, quite partial to the Iron Brew sponsor as well mm, but yeah they didn't have my size unfortunately so maybe uh, an
1: Aki top an Aki's top that's red and white hoops isn't it mm. it would complement my Morton top which is blue and white hoops we can we can do a final day hug photo wearing <laughs> our hooped shirts maybe Something to look forward to, isn't it? We
2: used to go shopping in Watford Town Centre wearing full Watford kits with our mums (laughs) back in the day.
1: We did. We lived in those full Watford kits: shirts, (laughs) shorts, socks, and when it was a bit chilly, tracksuits as well. I mean, yeah, Yeah. that's. But when we were at Celtic, we saw kids, you know, dressed head to toe in Celtic kit, didn't we? It must be the Easter holidays here already. Um, nothing wrong with that would have been would have been odd if i'd been lounging around the house in a sort of full lavy claire cycling kit <laughs> um. <laughs> right The rain started to fall again between Hamilton and Motherwell and it was getting pretty gloomy and the clock was ticking towards, well, pre-dinner drinks as we headed to our hotel in the huge Strathclyde Country Park where the River Clyde flows very close to the Strathclyde Lock and it feels hard to believe that a city of more than a million people is just beyond the tree line. That's the end of stage six of the Tour de Cosse recorded by me, Lionel Burney and Simon Gill. The series was produced by Tom Wally. And a big thank you, as ever, to our broom wagon driver, Sam Slatter, for all his support when we were on the road. Join us next time as we head across to Edinburgh.
4: Scottish League Premier Division, Aberdeen 2, Kilmarnock 0. Celtic 5, Morton 1. And the United against Motherwell, evening kick-off at 7.30. Hibernian 0, Rangers nil, St Mirren 0, Dundee nil. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib, and Lionel Burney.